Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by Grace. Welcome to Grace Archie with Jim Babka. So in this episode, we're going to zoom out a little bit. Instead of just looking at the tentacles of the octopus, we're going to look at the whole octopus from, you know, drone level height and see what we can uncover about this crazy beast that is now starting to strangle the First Amendment. It's hard to say it that way, but I don't think there's a more accurate way of doing it. Jim, you know where we're going with this, right? We want to talk about elections. Uh, gosh, everything, right? Everything. Social media censorship, elections, yeah. That's yeah. our doorway. So l- let's go through that door because of all of the, all of the stuff that's come down recently. Uh, we've all seen the headlines, you know, the, the rush from Mar- Russian meddling from Clinton way back in the day. These manufactured headlines that turned out to be completely false. You know, a, a government individual was quoted as saying something, and that becomes the banner headline in the New York Times. This is ridiculous. But what we're learning is that, first of all, these these headlines have had a source often. It's been in what we're calling the Clinton playbook. And that same playbook is being used now by the Democrats against the Republicans in the election that's coming up here in our cycle in 2024. I want to go into two parts of this because they'll give us an opportunity and you'll want to say things about this. Um, The first part is we got to take on the foreign influence notions. And the second part is uh, agent provocateurs, whether they're internal to the United States, whether they're the algorithm, just all of that whole thing. You know, Nikki Haley saying we need it. We need internet police. We'll take that on as sort of part two. So, um, how, do, how about we start with Russiagate? Because this idea of foreign meddling in American elections is one that goes back a long time. I mean, this goes back, I don't know, in, your, in my lifetime, probably before. Oh, no, it's the founding. You know, it happens in the early uh, days of the Republic. Right? Yeah. yeah uh, there's accusations of English meddling even after uh, the Constitution has been established. And there are accusations. I mean, do we have, have we ever had any proof in your... Yeah, uh, definitely. There's been some cases where there has been some some intervention or meddling uh, of kinds. The degree of effectiveness is is very much in question. So, yeah. RussiaGate was a hoax. Yeah, just full stop. Um, right. If you spend a lot of time reading Mueller reports and everything else, and you got sucked into it, and you feel bad about the fact that you got sucked into it, and you feel like you need to justify the amount of time that you've lost from your life in that soul-sucking enterprise. I'm sorry, but it just was a hoax. And I, I had a hard time paying any attention to it because I would get asked about it in radio interviews and different stuff. And I just had such a hard time because there was something that didn't smell right about the whole thing the whole time. And then in the attempt to try to remedy some of what might have happened uh, th- through Facebook in particular, they revealed that there were 50,000 people I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of people that live in this country, and a lot more than 50,000 that voted, that there were 50,000 people that were exposed to Russian propaganda on Facebook, 
And they did us the favor of telling us how many of our people in our social network, how many of our friends were amongst the impacted. And I had one. And then they showed us what it looked like. And it looked like somebody from a foreign culture. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, who is the the madam or whatever that that says all of your GIs are sleeping with us? Who's that? That's a World War II story, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, your 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 uh, ladies, your husbands are here sleeping with with us and and cheating on you, right? It's propaganda that's being put out to get something done, and that's what this was was propaganda from the get go, uh, based on some violations of law, even the bad laws that they have. Their laws are so permissive that they can spy with us with impunity and and use that information for a lot of different things that they're not allowed to use it for. And even though that happens, this still was worse than that. Uh, they violated the FISA Amendments Act. The Steele dossier was fake. Um, uh, it was politically motivated. It was paid for politically. We actually have some idea now who paid for it yeah. and what its source was. It was turned over by members of the Clinton campaign uh, to start an investigation into the Trump campaign. There was illegal FISA spying on campaign operatives, and in despite all, and then a narrative put out that bit by bit by bit by bit, as more and more of it was revealed, bit by bit by bit, more and more of it was proven fallacious. It just didn't. It, it was wrong. And uh, it was a design to, it actually was the thing that designed to influence elections. Would you call that an example of uh, misinformation or disinformation? I get the two confused. I got to admit, I have a hard time keeping these two things separate in my head. I know what malinformation is, the new category. Right, right. Um, I guess misinformation is, is kind of like a mistake and disinformation is an attempt to deceive, but in both cases, it's bad information. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Um, okay, I can I can roll with this that. Is, I mean, this, this is disinfo. This is disinfo. Disinfo on that base on that base on that definition. So there's concern, of course, that this that the method, not the contents, but the method, is something that is now repeatable. Like we can put an algorithm behind that and use that same method every time there's a national issue, for example, an election or concern about a war somewhere. You know how America. You can start to plan an idea. There's an yes. idea being planted about Donald Trump right now, actively. You'll hear it now that I said it. I'm going to turn on your uh, audio uh, activation mode um, that he is going to use the military to carry out acts during his presidency here domestically in the United States. He's going to use the military to enforce or carry out various acts that he intends to do, much like a dictator would do, much like a dictator. And this is delivered subtly and repeatedly, almost hypnotically, uh, but it sets the stage. And the people who are advocating this are actually running games, simulations, to determine what they would do to combat this and to further the, the, make sure that people are evident or can see it while it's happening. And I don't know what he's going to do in his second term because I think he's mad as hell. But I, in his first term, he didn't do this. They, they, he was accused of a whole bunch of things that he that he was going to do that he didn't do. And I, I, listen, I'm I want to be clear. We're not making an episode here to say we're fanboys. You know, I don't. But uh, at the end of the day, if you believe that your system is supposed to be democratic and is supposed to be the will of the people, the people deserve to be accurately informed, not 
disinformed. And it's fascinating to me that the people who obsess the most over misinformation and disinformation are the ones who have learned best how to propagate it. Right. I just, I, there's no coincidence here. Um, they, they, they are implying or applying uh, that the people who are misinforming and disinforming um, are someone other than they, they're telling you the truth while they are misinforming and disinforming. While misinforming. So you're implying here that these tools can be used to suggest foreign influence where there is none? Or how do literally, we... You know literally, absolutely zero. It could be literally zero. So, uh, you know, there's a concept or a construct called the deep state. Um, and I, I just researched this this past week. If you go look it up on Wikipedia, they'll tell you something about Turkey, and then they'll jump to the Trump administration. They will miss the in-between that there actually was a guy named Peter Dale Scott who talked about deep politics, and then later uh, in 2007 or 8 time frame wrote about the deep state. But he wrote an entire book in the 1990s about deep politics. And it's just kind of like common sense that there are people behind the scenes who want what they want, and they're going to use the levers of power to get it. Uh, you know, it, it, it'll help you immensely. It really will. I'll give you a shortcut that I use all the time. The state is a giant grift. It's like a mafia gang. And if you could see that, right, and you'll start asking questions like qui bono, who benefits? When you start doing that, you'll get a better picture. You may not get the accurate picture yet, but you'll get a better sense of what's really going on here. If you're walking around believing that what you were taught in civics class is how the world works here, how these actors behave, what their motives and, and incentives are like, and then how they actually follow through on those incentives and motives, um, you're, you're naive. You're naive. You, you believe in, you might as well leave out cookies for the politicians going to come bring the gifts to your house. You're talking about qui bono, which is who benefits. And I like that better than follow the money. Because follow the money will take you to a certain place that's very specific, but who benefits has a, a broader scale to it. And you begin to see things in ways that are not purely financial and economic. Yeah, and we've talked about that. Uh, we did an entire episode about this, but we also begun applying the bootleggers and Baptists uh, methodology. So the, the, these, these insider bootleggers who are manipulating the system need a, a lot of people who are morally indignant could be about something completely different, completely unrelated, but they need that moral indignation to carry out their campaigns. Or they, if they can't generate it through moral indignation, they'll generate it through fear. But one way or the other, they're going to put out some kind of information that's designed to rile up and motivate these people to side with whatever controls they're going to bring uh, to bear on the system. And, and where, they're, where they're going here is that they want to control the outcome lock, stock, and barrel. They've been on this track, and let me be clear, uh, there's some people who are suggesting that one side is worse than the other. I happen to agree with that, but it's not the case that there's an innocent side here. Right. Nobody's innocent. Nobody's innocent. So, so go ahead. can I slice this a little narrower? Sure. Uh, you know, Occam's razor here. So, the foreign press, at least the foreign press that's sympathetic to the United States. We're not talking about the Chinese foreign press, the Russian foreign press, but say the UK foreign press, European foreign press, um, runs stories often about their concern for what will happen in a second Trump term. Is that an example of this foreign interference or is that genuine? And how do you know the difference?
That's a tough question. I don't know how you would necessarily know the difference. Um, I kind of, at this point, do that myself personally on like a case-by-case basis where it comes up. Uh, okay, one, one place where you would do it is you would start to notice a pattern. I spoke a few minutes ago about a hypnotic pattern, right? Yeah, Something yeah. keeps getting repeated. Right. So the, the number one tool in persuasion, Thomas Paine observed it all the way back to common sense. The time, uh, it's time, right? It, it, it makes more converts than reason does. So I can argue with you all I want, but, um, but if something keeps getting repeated and it starts getting repeated in different places, you start hearing it all around. Your natural survival skills will kick in again and you'll say, maybe this information is important because it keeps, it keeps coming up. And so I would say if you see or hear stuff that rhymes a lot, um, you should know that you're being manipulated. Like there, there's a there's an echo chamber that is attempting to escape, or or maybe a better way of putting it, an echo chamber is attempting to bring you into it, so that you're part of it. You're now in that echo chamber. You right, now share right. that same belief. I hear I hear your drip system at work here because it is starting to become, you know, as as Trump's nomination becomes more of a certainty, uh, the drips are getting louder. Yeah, well, already I mean, in the economist. Come on, I mean they they've 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 kept him off the ballot. They've tried to take his money. They're trying to get him cr- thrown into prison. And these are all escalations from the stuff that they were doing. The, the Russian gate thing piddles in comparison to this. Comparison, yes. So I've got to cut it one slice thinner. Is that okay? Yes. Because we've had this uh, kerfuffle over funding the war in Ukraine. And it's become elided with another uh, congressional debate right now over immigration. And because the congressional Republicans have a different view of immigration, they're using immigration to stymie funding for Ukraine. Well, they got some big encouragement from the man with the orange hair, who supposedly has reached in and said, hey, you know, you better, you better tow the line I want you to tow on immigration if you expect to be part of my game when it's back in the White House. So in, in these in these stories, I, I, I've spoken out against bipartisanship here many times before. In bipartisanship, what that means is that two sides come together and they give something up in order to get some of what they want, but there's sacrifice involved and we call this compromise and we treat it as if it's uh, noble and worse necessary. Uh, to me, a great many questions don't belong in the state's purview shouldn't be in there in the first place. And the idea that we have to compromise over something has everything to do with the fact that we've stolen and there's a, there's a, there's a pot of gold, it's the loot, and now we're trying to figure out how to divide up the stolen loot. So what they do in the course of these compromises is they don't actually give anything up. This is an example of where neither side has to give anything up. So you know, one side cares immensely about immigration, so we're going to spend gold on you. We're going to give you some of the loot. And the other side wants military hardware and and other stuff sent over to the Ukraine side in the Russian-Ukraine war. And they say, look, you'll get yours, we'll get ours, everybody will be happy. And that's the, 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 that's the compromise that is called bipartisanship, right? Yeah, I'm with you. This happens even though both sides, there may be people questioning the expenditure of one or the other. They may not like the deal. But they both agree that they're going to get what they want. Okay, I'm not a believer in that. I I don't believe in that. I believe in what I call transpartisan, 
which is where I'm not interested in trying to find a way to compromise at the middle. I want to reach out to the principled ends and I want to find their values and I want to find a way to advance um, mutual values, not stuff that's um, opposite. I'm not trying to get anybody to give up anything. I'm trying to help people who usually don't get heard because they're on the more on the margins. Hey, have principles. I'm trying to get their principles enacted in some way, even if their motives and values are different. Sure. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, so, you know, this is happening a lot in the criminal justice front, although I think that's starting to reverse itself with Trump and, and the increase in crime. But we had a period going on in the late teens and in the early 20s here where uh, there was people there were people on the on the right waking up to the need to criminal justice reform. It was becoming a transpartisan issue. And there were arguments that could be made to conservatives specifically that would get to the same roughly the same policy destination that somebody on the left would have made on those on these same issues. So that you know you, so that you had, for example, uh, one of the first transpart uh, tripartisan bills, because there was a, uh, Justin Amash was the lead sponsor on a given bill when he was declared as a libertarian. Uh, in, in the arena of criminal justice reform. It's one of the uh, proposals we have over on downsizedc.org um, uh, that, that was once a transpartisan proposal. So that was reaching out to those edges. Now, this is all context to say the following in response to your question. Um, uh, the taxpayer loses on this deal, and um, it's a bad deal. If something If the funding is wrong, it's wrong. If the uh, for for Ukraine, if the funding is wrong for the border, it's wrong. They shouldn't. The compromise shouldn't result in everybody getting what they want. The taxpayer is the one that loses in this particular exchange, and I believe there's going to be fallout impacts to these various policies. Now, where Trump comes into this situation is he's disrupting this idea, this this deal. Now that it's pretty obvious that he is going to win the nomination, he is disrupting this deal and saying, you know what? Don't give them the money for Ukraine. Stick to your guns on the immigration thing. Well, I prefer that nobody stuck to their guns on any of this. Like, I feel like I'm losing. Did that begin to answer your question? Yeah, I, you got the good answer there. And, and where I was taking that was, is this a kind of foreign influence that's real? Or is this a kind of foreign influence that's, for want of a better word, trumped up for political purposes? I don't know in the case of Ukraine. Um, I'm very, very suspicious that actually the foreign bad actor in this case is us, our government. Um, that they have been attempting to get this war for a long time. They got the war that they wanted. And like the dog that chased the car, they can't figure out how to win it now. Like they can't, right. they got the war they wanted and they're now losing it. But on the border, I have believed all along that this is, this is it's a deception that the problem is as bad as it is that is largely propagandized again and again the worst anecdotes are brought up and the the actual risk and numbers are not and the benefits are lost in the shuffle uh to achieve a political goal uh which is to get uh various maga candidates elected and that it preys on the worst instincts um of the American people. And so, you know, people who are otherwise normally good and decent on this particular subject are not as good and decent. So um, that, that, that gets a nice segue into the domestic side of this. Let me just and, say one more thing about that. They're susceptible. Oh, sure, go ahead. 
this 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 instinct that there's a problem and this desire to scapegoat some class of people to find an easy solution makes them susceptible to this propaganda. I'm sorry, your question. No, no, no. You're perfect on that because the susceptibility is where we're going with agent provocateurs. Not French, doing my best. There are so many, um, you know, just rampant stories running around. Although I think there is some fact behind some of them. Election workers who require, um, who are quitting because they don't want to be a part of the mess. They're tired of the threats. Government officials who now need personal protection more than ever before. Uh, people who are trying to do a principal job, not being able to, and just leaving because it's too hard, you know, to continue to do that. And this, there's a, you know, there's a, a burgeoning fear. It is just a fear, although some of the reports are out there. The fear is ginned up by those who want to see the disruption of elections, who want to believe that they can change the way that democracy works, or who, sus who are susceptible to the fear that those things will happen. There's like two, two different constituencies here who are being run by the same, you know, marionette uh, player. Does that make sense? And, and this whole thing about is somebody behind it pulling the strings and, you know, what part does technology play and elevating some information over others. And this, this whole mess of how do you know what's real? I think Jim is what we're getting to here. Okay, so I, I, let me, uh, because I need to be an equal opportunity offender, um, it's just part of my drive. I have to be this way. I have to point out the flaws in both sides. I just want to say up front, we don't have to spend very long on the Donald Trump stuff because it's so thoroughly litigated in the public. So his role in January 6th is questionable at best. Um, I, don't, I, I hesitate to call uh, the actions of most of the people that were in the Capitol that day insurrection, but I'm not sure that I hesitate to call his insurrection. I think there was uh, there was an attempt to uh, overturn the outcome of, of an election. And I think that uh, that that's been that's been on balance a destructive thing. Um, and and I, I also recognize the fact that that Republicans have been involved in various plots to keep third party candidates off the ballot historically. So th this it's not that this is a new thing. Uh, yeah, that they it's, would it's Easier to okay. do now. <laughs> okay. But what the Democrats are doing does not get covered. And it's underneath the surface. And it's dangerous and bad. Um, so before, I mean, a lot of people don't know that before uh, Trump ever challenged the results of this election, that um, um, John D. Podesta, who was Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, participated in a simulation where they went through an exercise where he surprised everybody and he decided to stage a coup by getting the governors of two states in this simulation to send a different delegation than what had been voted upon in their state to the electoral college, to send a Democrat block to the electoral college. And that he then proceeded to get three states to basically secede if they didn't get their way. And, and this, this, this was outright insurrection. That's what this was. It's not. It's it's less questionable than what actually ended up happening historically. But it happened first in a gaming in a, in a simulation that was done on the Democrat side. So for years, third parties have been experiencing uh, the really unfair ballot access practices. I mentioned these in a instant grace I did about Robert Kennedy. I labeled him as you know because we have to have a catchy headline. I said he was dropping out of the race. Um, 
And what I meant by that was metaphorical. Uh, that's within the rules of getting people to listen to a five-minute show. And in that instant, Grace, I explained that, that you know everybody that goes out and does this third-party run has no idea what they're in for. And it happens every four years that there's some famous celebrity or billionaire uh, who says they're going to run for president, who decides that they need to spend more time with their family or whatever it is that they end up saying, because they find out how expensive and burdensome it's going to be to get on the ballot. And in some yeah. states where, especially since the 90s, uh, in some states getting on those ballots, you're going to run into a buzzsaw of people who actually control the levers of power, who are going to use the meanest, nastiest, dirtiest, underhanded, ugliest, bald-faced, lying, decept deceptive techniques to keep you off the ballot, right? Like they might say, well, it looks, you know, the handwriting in the, in the print, your name box looks a little too much like cursive. Ergo, we can't read the name. Ergo, it's gone. Or the signature isn't clear enough, which, by the way, a lot of people have very unclear signatures. The signature isn't clear enough, even though we can see the name printed below. They're going to start resorting to those techniques. What the Democrats have done in this election, uh, we have pointed out in a previous episode, Donald Trump did not has not been convicted of an insurrection in a court of law. That hasn't happened. And yet states have used this, Maine and Colorado in particular, to keep him off the ballot in primary campaigns, which, by the way, belong really to the parties, not really to the state. But nevertheless, they've done that, uh, tipping their hand at what they're going to do in the fall. And then they've got these criminal prosecutions, one of which the one in New York involving uh, the information that was put out where there's a campaign finance violation. We did a whole episode, two episodes, in fact, about that. We'll put those down in the show notes. Uh, they're, they're using uh, prosecution and trying to punish him in a way that turns him into a criminal. Uh, and maybe he is. I'm not disputing whether that's the case or not. Uh, let's go into court and find out. But they're using that. They're, these are political instruments. And it's having a backfire effect because people are becoming more interested in, in the forbidden fruit that's been put in front of them, even if the fruit isn't that, you know, it's a little bit orange and not tasting so sweet. Yeah. Um, but they're getting caught up in it because they think, well, we were being forbidden to have this and they only want it more. This is, this is, this is not working. But the number of things that they're willing to do on an underhanded basis keep increasing and ratcheting and ratcheting. And they're using these ballot techniques and they're intending to use them against third-party candidates. Um, I want to just throw on this on top of it to kind of add some flair, color and context. Um, I got to re meet Ralph Nader in person in, in uh, 2000 and again, a little bit longer, I actually got to talk to him for a few minutes in 2001 at a banquet and um, uh, had a nice conversation with him. Ralph Nader is blamed for Al Gore's loss. Now there were six, seven, eight candidates, I don't remember how many, one of them, including my boss at the time, Harry Brown, who yep. got more votes in the margin of error. And there were two counties that really counted, and it was Harry Brown's vote total in that county that provoked the Republicans to say that there needs to be a recount here. And uh, we don't have to relive the entire saga of what happened in 2000 here, but I will say that when Al Gore lost, you had the likes of Bill Maher, um, uh, I'm thinking of a very famous movie uh, producer and director, um, just a, a variety of people in the Hollywood scene, Sarah Silverman, comedian, a variety of people saying, they, you know, hey, never again, uh, a Ralph Nader subtracts from our vote total. So you've got an RFK in this situation right now, who, by the way, does not have enough resources and will not have enough resources to be on all 50 ballots. And I already predicted that he was going to have a hard time getting over, getting up to thirty. Like it's, it's, it's his range is probably somewhere in the mid twenties. 
But there's a handful of states where they believe that the election is going to be close. And in those states, they're going to pull out every stop, no matter how nasty, mean, dirty, filthy, no matter how scummy, no matter how underhanded, no matter how rude, no matter how obnoxious, they're going to, no matter how much of a bald-faced lie it is, they're going to do whatever they can to destroy the ability to get on the ballot in those states so that they can get those votes for Biden. So, and they're going, they're, they're not just, they've already canceled, they, they made the New Hampshire primary irrelevant, uh, they They've canceled all the debates. They just said, you know, Joe Biden's going to be in there. And, and what happened in two, 2004 was really interesting because they began using some of these tactics against Ralph Nader initially. Right. And, yes. and, and uh, to try to reduce the number of ballots he was on and the amount of traction he had. And they told a story about how Ralph Nader was responsible for George Bush's victory. And the truth of the matter was that in 2004, John Kerry had no position on the war. He was for it at first, but then against it later, and then somewhere, uh, who knows? And it was the number one issue that year. And a lot of the public was like, especially on the Democrat side, was opposed to that war now. Like, it was starting to dawn on people that this had been a deception, and that it wasn't going the way we had been promised it would go. You know, they were going to greet us as liberators. Right. And so they said, they decided rather than listening to their voters, that they would just proceed ahead and demonize this man and cheat in any way that they could, to get the result that they wanted. And with that little taste of blood, these vampires have kept right on running and they're running right into 24 and they want to expand, not just to their own, do this to their own party. And then not just to do this to RFK and other third party candidates, but to also try to apply these same ideas to Donald Trump because it becomes about winning and not about the will of the people. That's the direction that this is all headed right now. Yes. That's the scary direction because that's the end of free speech. Well, it's the end of representative government for sure. I think there's two things that are kind of interrelated, and we focused more on one of them today. We're focusing more on the electoral aspect and the ways that propaganda has been used there. There's the other aspect of the First Amendment, which is like, do we have the ability to express ourselves? Do shows like this have the ability to express themselves um, in, in, in various settings? And oh, I've heard I'm, those lies before, too. It's like, so, you know, when so and so is elected, they're going to shut all the conservative media down. Well, and sometimes it's happened. Right. I mean, you know, there's a, the famous story of Lois Lerner. The IRS definitely was targeting political opponents and they weren't targeting political opponents on the left. Right. Um, uh, the current vice president, when she was attorney general, uh, managed to get the power in her state uh, to get the what's called Schedule B information off of nonprofit organizations filed with her. These are this is private information. It has to be filed with the IRS for certain accounting and 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 uh legal reasons, but it's not, it, it was always a secret or shielded thing. It, it was not required that it be disclosed because you don't want to necessarily have your donors subjected to violence and harassment and cancellation and everything else. Um, and so it allowed various minority groups to be able to do their work, people who are dissident groups to challenge the system um, and do so anonymously in the same way that you're able to vote anonymously. Right, so you, you're less likely to be coerced or chilled out of the system. But she wanted that information. She got it set up so that they got it, and even managed to win a court case to secure that power, even though it was outside of federal law at the time. And and uh, so they collect this information on donors. Why do they need this information on donors? Probably to target those people. Probably to intimidate them. Probably to chill them out. Probably to make them think. You know, chilling, by the way, means I choose not to participate because I realize the risks. 
speaking as a citizen of that state, that was not pretty. Yeah. So I, I'm I, I'm concerned. I'm not a fan of the system, just to be clear. In case there was any question. Right. If this is but your this, first time through Grace Archie, just yes. right now, yes. 32 minutes in, Jim is not a fan of the system. But I, I recognize that when some Democrats in 2016 protested and didn't show up and even led, uh, they would call it a march. I would say it was a borderline riot um, in opposition to Trump's inauguration. And that they were already lining up the decks for the ways that they were going to make sure his presidency wasn't going to work. And they had a candidate who was denying the outcome of the election. She said she was cheated. That they were already beginning to lay this groundwork for the behaviors that they're engaged in now. And the president lied about voting machines. His, his people lied about them. They lied about the vote counting. I mean, there's, there's a number of things that, that went on here where you can, you can say a, a, a pox on all their houses. But, and I would want to put a pox on all their houses. I don't think this is the best way to do things, but I can imagine something worse. I can imagine something worse, which is where there is the will of the people has been completely removed from the equation. And the people who want to give it to us good and hard can get the, get the power through brute force methods. And our voice matters almost nothing. And it's diminished as it is, but it matters nothing. I can imagine that being worse. And this is where we get to um, the promotion of certain posts and tweets and other things above others that don't deserve to be promoted. Uh, we get to uh, the, the fear of violence, civil violence, and uh, talk of a civil war, like shooting war in the United States. This is, this is where all that stuff comes from. Yeah, so uh, I believe, and we've talked about it before, that Politics is not an apt word to describe what it is that we do when we enter the realm of politics. What we do, by and large, is enter a conflict machine. And the necessary thing about the conflict machine is that everybody, there's two things. Everybody lines up with a team. You're forced to pick a side. And then secondly, someone has to lose. Now, I want to make clear. I didn't say someone has to win and someone has to lose. I didn't say someone has to win. I said someone has to lose. Yeah, that's this is where we are now. Part of the system. Somebody has to lose. And when we make things about coercion, when we say we're going to use the power to force other people to do our bidding, to do things our way, to live their lives by our values, to give us the money to fund the things that we want, even though they object to those things, morally, values basis, or even just because you know they would prefer to be able to buy their, their children uh, their school clothes as opposed to send that money off to the politicians who will do bad things with it, inefficient in, in things with it. When we do that, we diminish the happiness, harmony, and prosperity of people. And that harmony is a key thing that everyone can see going wrong. Everyone can recognize that we're at each other's throats as a result of it. And eventually, we end up in a situation where we get so caught up in the fight that we don't care about the issue anymore. We only care about making sure the other side loses. Because again, someone's gotta. And so we want to make those people in the conflict machine lose. That's where we end up. And all of it stems from the fact that we believe we can pretend, we pretend that we can suspend reality and solve social problems through coercive means. And I just want to say, that's not graceful. 
And it's not going to get us the happiness, harmony, and prosperity we desire.